I'm Deb Kuykendall. And I'm Jacob Kuykendall. I'm Karen Hernandez. And this is The Decades Podcast, a podcast where we watch two movies, one from a previous decade and one from the 2010s. And this season we are covering horror movies. I hope you enjoy the show. Heck yeah, you'll enjoy the show. I'm Karen Hernandez. And Jacob Kuykendall is me. And I'm Jacob's mom. Hi, Mom. I have a name. Hi, Mommy. My name is Deb. Deb Kuykendall. There's more to the rules for this. Sure. What are the rules? So the rules are we want to watch the older movies in sequence. We're going to try to stick to the golden age of... We're not sticking to the golden age. I take that (laughs) away. What's going on here? Wait, the golden age ended in the 60s. Where am I? No. We're going to start in the 20s and proceed chronologically up to present day. Every 10 years. Every 10 years. A new movie. Right. We're going to do one movie per decade, which... That also adds a level of difficulty because you have to pick the right movie from that decade, and there are a lot to choose from. So how do you determine if two movies have thematic similarities? You kind of you have to know what they're about. Okay. And it can be tricky if you don't if you've never seen the movie. Okay. So the two movies we watched today were Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde and Black Swan. Right. We'll have to talk about Black Swan as a horror movie in a minute because. It's a little... Yeah, it is, and it isn't. It's on the line. But um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, pretty much everybody knows what that is. It's about a man who splits his identity into... Yeah. Supposedly his good self and his evil self, but that's not really how it works. I just went looking for another movie that had a similar popularity rating. We don't want to judge two movies that are... One from the present that only 30% of the audience liked versus one from the past that has a 90% rating. Mm Mm-hmm. The other part of that that makes it difficult is that people just super love movies from the 30s, so they all have, they're all like 90%. The people who love movies from the 30s love movies from the 30s and rate movies from the 30s. I rate them very high. I don't love movies from the 30s. Well, I you know, that movie was from the 20s. Or, yes. Oh, you're right. Maybe <laughs> you I love movies. You may love from... movies from the 30s. You don't know. But so I tried to make sure that they were at least, they at least were both on the same level of likedness or belovedness by the audience. And Just to ensure that that you didn't have to worry about quality between the two. And we talked about watching American Psycho briefly, but that was too right. Old. And there, American Psycho would have been a better match for Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, I think. Mr. So, Hyde, for I think. Sure. And a more interesting. Well, I mean, I don't know. Black Swan's pretty interesting. I, I may disagree <laughs> with you. Right. American Psycho, I think, would have been a more interesting match, but because it comes from two thousand, that was my original match, and then I said, no, it's not current enough. Yeah. Because part of what we want to do is look at something that culturally represents the time. And something from 2000 doesn't represent current day. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So, Dr. Jekyll is the philanthropist. He's an upstanding gentleman. He is, I guess, interested in this woman who's character... Millicent? Millicent, Mill- Millicent Carew. Millicent Carew. father, George Carew. And George Carew tells Dr. Jekyll, hey man, you should be more interested in my daughter, and also you should go and have a cool time with me and my friends. And they go out on the town. He says a little more than that. He starts talking about temptation. Yeah. And how Dr. Jekyll shouldn't be quite so lily white, basically. Yeah. And then he literally says, the only way to rid yourself of temptation is to yield to it. So basically he is the corrupting force. Yeah. His girlfriend's dad says, let's go out and party because that's the only way to have be a person? To be I mean, a full-blown person, I think. To see cool. the world and be part of society. Well, I want to clarify at this point that this is a movie from the 20s, so it's a silent film. So a lot of the story here is either 
direct text written on the screen or implied from just kind of eyeballing the situation. (laughs) And the, like, clarity of some of this story will get hazier, I think, as it goes on. That's one of the things we should talk about. We, I think we may not have gotten as much out of it as an audience from that time period who are accustomed to watching films in that format. Yeah, that seems that way. There were probably things that they could latch onto that we could not. The way that they performed was somewhat stylistic Mm -hmm. in a a style that we're not familiar with. It was like standardized acting. Yes, I, I would agree with that. So Dr. Jekyll goes with George Carew and his two goofy friends to a underground drinking Cafe. establishment. Dance hall, okay. listen hall, or whatever. There's a sexy lady doing a sexy dance where she kind of wiggles her arms. Gina. Oh, Gina. Gina. Yeah. She kind of wiggles her arms a lot. <laughs> the, um, George's friend goes and talks to, I guess, the owner of the establishment and says, bring Gina over here. Have her pay oh, attention to Dr. Yeah. Jekyll. And Gina comes over and thinks Dr. Jekyll's handsome and starts putting her moves on him and he gets so uncomfortable he has to leave. Proving what a square he is. But it was also the first time he was exposed to his own um, base nature. Yeah. Well, he the... felt attraction to her and felt scared of that feeling and ran away. One yes. of the scenes that, that actually impacted me was before that, where George was talking to Dr. Jekyll and saying yes. all this stuff. And then there's this long silence where you see Dr. Jekyll with a very intent expression considering whether what he's hearing is true and whether he should explore his baser nature. Mm-hmm. And I guess he does. I mean, and I guess he, he hears it and he's like, well, I guess I'll go out drinking with you guys. Yeah, George Carew says something like, the only way you know yourself as a man or something is to build your experiences. Yeah. So, right. And he listens to that and then they go to the bar and then Gina makes her moves and then he leaves and all of those things build up to the point where he says, I do want to explore this. I will say that one of my confusions here, where I think this was left a little bit to the imagination for me personally, is the impression is that Dr. Jekyll uh, probably cares a lot what George Carew has to say, because this is like his girlfriend's dad, but it's not really made super clear how much Dr. Jekyll actually likes Millicent early on. They're kind of cold to each other, so it's hard for him. It's hard to tell exactly what their relationship was when George is like, "Hey, come out with me, buddy." Right, but also they're not really allowed. I'm, I'm guessing it's not really allowed to show too much sentiment. um, Well, it was pretty clear how Millicent felt. That's true. She was very longing. And I guess, and later in the film, Doctor Jekyll makes it clear like he's at least somewhat interested. But early on, it's hard to tell. Like to me, why he would be into just, like, carousing out with this guy. So the turning point was Dr. Jekyll was having a conversation with his friend and saying, like, man, I wish that I could have these feelings of, I guess, like, sexual feelings or whatever, feelings of attraction. I wish I could have these feelings, but also still be pure in the eyes of God. And he says something, I wish I could just split myself in two so that I can experience these feelings without being sinful. Yeah, yeah he does mm-hmm. essentially say that. And he does. I, I kind of want to write that down, because when we get to the part of this podcast where we're comparing Black Swan to this movie, yeah. mm-hmm, that's a, a really significant <laughs> point. Where Because Natalie Portman kind of makes it, there was a turning point where she decides 
this yes. is what I want to go for. She actually has a lot in common with Dr. Jekyll. There's so, so much in so common. I'm talking about that right now. <laughs> yeah, dang. Do we want to loop back to that? Back loop it back. Because there's a whole lot more to this Dr. Jekyll movie. All right. <laughs> I'm going to push forward through on this movie's <laughs> plot so we can get to kind of the more interesting stuff. This movie was kind of boring. Oh, Up until the boring. point where the book starts with a story of uh, these two friends walking... Okay. One of them tells the other one of this incident that occurred on the street where he sees this man, this wretched man, and he's just barreling down the street and there's a child coming in the opposite direction and he just barrels right over <laughs> the child. And at the point in the movie, which this happens way later in the movie, that's yeah. kind of where it started getting interesting. Yeah, that's where Mr. Hyde, my, Mr. Hyde actually starts turning more monstrous and less of just like a jerk. Yeah, well, he turns monstrous once he hurts an innocent creature... But yeah. before that, the only people he had affected was Gina of a scandal, like somewhat of a scandalous character, since she's a nightclub dancer. Yes. Right. But he totally shamed her and yes. you know, she yeah. had to leave her position mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. I Maybe because she got pregnant. It could be. I don't know. IDK. It's, it's more of that <laughs> subtext. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, yeah, but that's, that's because it was the 20s. Yes. There's a lot of stuff left to the imagination. So he drinks this potion. He becomes Mr. Hyde. He goes and meets Gina and goes out smoking and drinking to that club that Dr. Jekyll was so uncomfortable with. Gina tells him about her special ring that's full of poison, and we have a well, flash. Well, it's not full of poison, but it was full of poison it, at one time. It was full it's of poison and is later full of poison. initially was to carry poison in a discreet, but also kind of fashionable it's, manner. It was Chekhov's ring. Flash. She says, here's the story of my ring. Once it held poison that killed... A lover's rival. Yes. And then and he takes the ring from her. He just takes it and puts it on his finger. Uh, I'm a little hazy because it started getting boring here. But he eventually <laughs> breaks up with Gina and uh, takes her ring and tells her to get out of his house. Dr. Jekyll at first is kind of okay with being Mr. Hyde. In fact, he's doing it on purpose because he's just like, well, now I get to have fun with this potion. He has a second potion that he takes to turn himself back into Dr. Jekyll, at least at one point in the movie. At which point the plot of this movie kind of fades out a little bit because the rest of this is Mr. Hyde is becoming increasingly increasingly aggressive and unpleasant and Dr. Jekyll now feels comfortable expressing his interest in Millicent. Millicent. I want to say Maleficent, but that is not right. (laughs) No. He is conflicted but expresses his interest in Millicent. He also tells his lawyer and his assistant, Dr. Jekyll I mean, Basically, Mr. Hyde will be living here. Please give him access to my affairs. He's the he's my, named he's party my in my heir. estate. Mr. Hyde's basically getting more wild. And eventually he goes to an opium den and shames Gina and another woman. He doesn't do drugs on screen, but it's implied he's probably doing opium. Let's Let's clarify that. He shames Gina once Gina finds him putting the moves on another lady. I think he holds Gina up to a mirror and says, like, you're lesser, you're lesser than this new lady. Yeah. He takes the new lady at, that he finds at the opium den up to the, I guess, bedroom area. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and there are people oh, sleeping there. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the opium addicts who have been smoking opium. That's how you smoke opium. Yeah. You just plop it down. And you know it's an opium den because the Chinese man opens the door. Yes. There's some Chinese people there. And he eventually does knock down a child in the street and people you know, stop Mr. Hyde and says, you need to pay for what you've done. So he goes, he runs into his lab and writes a check and brings it out, and it's Dr. Jekyll's signature. And they say, this is Dr. Jekyll's signature, so he said, I'll take it to a bank. And they do, and he gets the money. I mean, there's a section here between when he knocks the child down to when he confronts George. 
Oh, it's the first time that he turns unexpectedly. Oh, yeah. He's in his lab. Yeah. Doc, George Carew shows up and is harassing him about something. and he He's harassing him for ignoring his daughter. Yes. And then he, without taking any potion, it's the first time he turns into Mr. Hyde that way. And then Mr. Hyde chases George Carew out into the courtyard and beats him to death. Yeah, he jumps on him, bites his neck, and then beats him to death with a cane. And then he, he tries to escape. Yeah, Mr. Hyde, Hyde tells it out of there. The police are called. Dr. Jekyll's attorneys is called. Uh, Millicent shows up. They are on the hunt for Mr. Hyde because someone saw them, or at least think they saw Mr. Hyde. They chase him all around town. Mr. Hyde's trying to hide out and eventually makes a potion to turn him back into Dr. Jekyll so he can't be caught. But Dr. Jekyll is now struggling to not turn into Mr. Hyde, you know, whenever. The assumption is that the Mr. Hyde character is being fueled by all these bad things that he's doing, that he's taking over the body of Dr. Jekyll. Yeah. Where Dr. Jekyll, there's no, there's not really a lot of goodness that's kind of fueling the Dr. Jekyll side of his personality, and there's just all this bad stuff that Mr. Hyde is doing. Eventually, they catch Dr. Jekyll's locked himself in his laboratory. He's running out of the chemicals to make the potion that prevents him from turning into Mr. Hyde, because now he can no longer, he no longer needs a potion to turn into Mr. Hyde. Millicent comes to confront him, and as soon as Dr. Jekyll hears her trying to get in, he transforms into Mr. Hyde, and before he transforms, he takes some poison out of his little poison ring. Uh, Millicent or comes in, and Mr. Hyde starts accosting her. It's suggested maybe he's going to attack or rape her, and then Mr. Hyde suddenly dies from the poison, and... Somebody comes in and sees Mr. Hyde turn back into Dr. Jekyll in his death and says, Mr. Hyde has killed Dr. Jekyll. And Millicent is sad. And then the movie ends. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have to backtrack a little bit because the transformation, the final transformation of Dr. Jekyll into Mr. Hyde, he could not prevent that from happening. Right. To make it really clear, like he didn't want that to happen. It was happening just because of all this excitement um, yeah. of being chased by the police. He doesn't transform until Millicent well, knocks on his door. Yeah, and he's trying to warn Millicent, like, if you love me, leave, go. Yeah. Because he feels this uh, Mr. Hyde character about to take his place. Right. Mr. Hyde does take his place, and then Millicent comes in, and that's where he yeah, attacks her and rapes her. Maybe. Tries to. Potentially. Yeah, he tries. And then he yeah. dies. And then they're both dead. So, that's... The movie, <laughs> as it stands. That is, that is very similar to the book. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I did want to say that this character of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, at least that concept, is very, has survived a long time. More so than just about any monster movie or horror movie icon I can think of. But having looked at some of the other movies and how they treat this subject... There's like one paragraph in the book where he makes a little speech, and it is, if we could separate these two natures, then while you are good, you could do your good things without ever feeling guilty, and while you were bad, you could do your bad things without being pulled down by your good nature. Yeah. That's his goal. He never achieves that goal. So, All he manages to do is separate the bad part out. From and then, his regular self. From his regular self, right. I mean, those. The, I had two thoughts, and I wanted to get your guys feelings on these. The first one was that I don't, I've never read the original story, but my imagination of this from popular culture is he takes this potion to split his personalities and then it essentially, it's um, it's like the Incredible Hulk. Like, he doesn't want to become 
Mr. Hyde, but this bad creature takes over because he has these evil impulses. But in this movie, at least, early on, Dr. Jekyll is fully in control of becoming Mr. Hyde, and he is like, well, telling his attorney, oh, well, please give make him my heir. Like, he is... Right. I'm going to be experimenting with this, so I need to make sure that I'm protected while I'm in my Legally protected, yeah. and also, my servant, please let make sure Mr. Hyde... I mean, he's not like um, the Incredible Hulk or like a werewolf, where you're consi- where he's concerned so, this person's going to lash out his loved one. He's he, like, hey, great, let's do this. He has so, initial control. Right. Yes. One of the things that it has been uh, likened to is alcoholism. Right. So that initially in the book, yes, for most of the book he does have control, and then then there is a there's a line that gets crossed where all of a sudden he starts turning without his control. Because the way that this movie it's written, it is like he's invented like methamphetamines. He <laughs> finds this thing that lets him like cut loose, and he loves it for a while, and then it gets worse and worse, and then, and then he can't it's in control, and then he mm-hmm. can't not do it, uh, which was different than I expected. I expected he would initially immediately go oh no i screwed up this is not what i wanted but initially he's like this is exactly what i wanted and i did it well in the movie it's i mean the movie the story whatever it's not really about science if it was about science then you could take a potion and screw up but it's not about science it's about human nature it's about he he was subjugating his base feelings and then somebody said well you should experience those and then he started to and then things got out of hand the other thing i wanted to talk to you guys about or bring up, especially when we're going to talk about Black Swan later, is in this movie in the 1920s, which is maybe a period piece to like the 1880s, is Dr. Jekyll really a nice guy? He is a good fellow. He's a good Christian by like, he is a philanthropist and a doctor, but he seems like nobody especially likes him very much except Millicent. He is not fun to be around. And that actually works when you, when he decides to become Mr. Hyde because He's, like, uh, you know, not that great, and he never becomes great. I mean, he's never a cool dude till all the way up to his own death. Well, I don't know. In the book, he was a normal person. He was not good or bad. He was an integrated individual. He actually did bad things. He he liked to gamble and do things, but he always felt bad about it. And he just didn't want to feel bad. And he didn't want to feel bad while he was doing bad things, and he didn't want to feel bad while he was doing good things. <laughs> so he thought he should split those two things apart. Yeah. So that's a that's different. And I haven't seen one movie treatment that treats it that way. Right. The one from the 40s? The Dr. Jekyll in that movie, he wants to cure madness, and he thinks madness is evil taking over a person, and so he wants to split apart the evil, and he just doesn't have enough money to get human subjects to to uh, experiment yeah. on, so he experiments on himself. Um, so it's like people didn't want to really look at what the original uh, statement was. was. Yeah, It seemed like Dr. Jekyll was just as normal of a character in society as anyone else. I mean, he had a circle of High class guys that he hung around with. They had a, he had a girlfriend. Yeah, I mean he, he didn't seem. But he did seem a little. He was bland. cold. Yeah, I mean, he was bland. He wasn't likable. He didn't have too much of a personality. But then again, the movie makes clear from the start that he works very hard as a philanthropist and as a human body repair shop. Yes, at his human <laughs> repair shop at the for human, the poor. He, that's a doctor. That means doctor. He works at the human repair shop. Look <laughs> at this movie. The reason I, I bring that up is, like the other movie we're going to talk about, in a lot of ways, Dr. Jekyll, the way this movie is framed, is he's because he's fully in control and not a very likable person, Like he's actually a monster from the start. 
he mm-hmm. really wishes he could be a bad person, so he makes a potion that makes it easy for him to do so, and then eventually gets so sick of it, he kills himself. He's never like... You say he's a monster from the start, but I think you should talk about that a little bit more, because what you're saying is he stands out, he's isolated from the rest of society in an abnormal way. Right. He is a upstanding gentleman in society, and when they go to a place of ill repute with his sort of friends... He is so uncomfortable he has to leave. But deep down, he really wants to, like, party and experience this Mm -hmm. to the point where even after he initially takes the potion and becomes literally a monster, his first reaction is like, okay, well, I'm going to keep trying this out, see how it goes, because this is what I wanted. And that means that he had this intention, to some extent, from the get-go. He he wanted to explore these impulses and eventually Mm -hmm. regrets them when it starts literally murdering people but up to that point he's like well yeah this guy is carousing around town doing drugs but and and, you know attacking women but eh." that's really interesting to me at this moment because before i saw the movie before i watched the movie this morning this afternoon all i had in my mind was the book and black swan and my idea of how those two things related to each other was that in the book he is actually trying to split apart an integrated person yeah. Whereas in the Black Swan, she becomes more integrated because she starts yeah. to have all her parts. But in this movie, it's it is much more like the Black Swan. He's not integrated yeah. to begin with. He mm-hmm. has another part. He's totally denied. Mm-hmm. Right. And he finally explores that, and he's at first happy about it, and then turn turns a corner. But that's where it seems like it's about addiction a little bit, sure. which is something else to bring up about this. Um, so the star of that movie was John Barrymore. Mm-hmm. He was an alcoholic from the time he was 14 years old, to the oh. extent that it severely impacted his career. And eventually, he couldn't act anymore because he couldn't remember his lines. Mm. And then he died of cirrhosis yes. of the liver. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde character. He's a little, yeah, he's got a little bit of that. Hold on. I took some notes on some cinema stuff that was originally, I thought, was good the 1930s. So these are not perfectly on, on point, but there was a couple of things I wanted to talk about. So in 1924, they invented the Moviola. It's a editing machine. So they were able to, they used electric motors to move film back forward and backwards, which previously they had to do by hand, which allowed them to edit movies easier and, and more simply, which meant that movies could be edited to be faster paced and have shorter scenes. Because up to that point, someone had to physically look through the film and figure out where to edit. And that meant that scenes had to be long, just by their nature. Now, I don't know if this movie, which seems, seems very long, uh, took advantage of that, but this is right around the time where they were able to edit movies in a more modern way. I saw that in some instances, some scenes you could see, like, the scene was going and then it, and then quickly, like, did a retake of that, continuing that scene. And I, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but there was some uh, editing inconsistencies, blips, where the, it's not <laughs> completely seamless as if the film was running yes, the whole time. Yes, there are a couple times where people like jump forward. It's mm-hmm. hard to tell because we are watching this movie now if this was the form in which somebody would see it in a movie theater because I wondered, those scenes, was this intentional or was this like lost film? Right. The film quality was really poor. I think yeah. we would have enjoyed it more and been less bored had it been a higher quality uh, visual. Yeah, it was very hard could... to see some We stuff. did get it in Blu-ray though. Yes, <laughs> so that's we, right. So we saw the terrible film. Yeah, it's 1080p, but it was a very blurry. I mean, even the even the text was blurry from time to time. It was not a great print. Yeah, 
The other thing that I read about movies from this period is, is they were moving from silent films into the first speaking films. There was a lot of changes in terms of how movies used visual storytelling. You know, as silent films relied entirely on visuals, they had to show everything with both like kind of overdramatic acting and with very striking designs and costumes. And this is kind of right at the tail end of that when, you know, as more sound-based movies came into play, they kind of pulled back and became more subtle in their visual Um, approach. I have been listening to a podcast called You Must Remember This. Shout out to You Must Remember This. Which which does cover the golden age of uh, Hollywood. That's all of Hollywood, right? (laughs) Well, it's not. I'm sorry. (laughs) That ends like right around 1959 or so. Audrey Hepburn is probably the last of the golden age of Hollywood stars. But one of the things, there, there were directors who were from the silent era who tried to minimize the amount of dialogue in movies, who thought, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, you don't need all that much dialogue. And that would be in the time between. And he did make the move into sound. Oh, this, this director? Uh, John Barrymore. Oh, John Barrymore. The, the star, yes. He was very popular in films. He became a swashbuckler at some point. Oh. This movie conveyed a lot of its emotion with the uh, orchestra soundtrack and the acting, especially face acting. Well, I had a problem. Yeah. I mean, the soundtrack was not, that was not the sound that people heard in the 20s. That was a soundtrack uh, made for this movie. Oh, was it? I did and, not. Uh, I didn't know that. A lot of times they don't have the original score or whatever was intended to be played if there was a particular score. I didn't know score. that. Yeah. So this was added on later after yeah. Okay. That. Well, that's, that explains some things. Yes. Which and is... There were times when it worked, and there were times when it did not. Definitely when it was did just not the, work. We were like, Maggie mentioned, Maggie watched it with us. She mentioned that it was like the sound you would hear if you were walking around Disneyland, which yes. is not appropriate for a movie for a, of this nature. A somewhat horror movie, at least in concept. I think this would have been a much scarier, more horror-like movie had the soundtrack been made to sound that way. Definitely. You know, there's a, there's a funny effect, I think, with kind of the slowness of this movie and the weird soundtrack. And just kind of some of the qualities of this movie where the things that happened that were horror movie or horrible things that happened were actually kind of jumped out at you because you have long periods of not much happening and very slow. And then somebody gets like murdered or a lady gets grabbed by Mr. Hyde and it like takes you really right out of your seat because up to that point, you're just, there's the excitement level is so low that when it spikes a little bit. Well, one of the things I was thinking when we were watching it, one, I think maybe there is a maximum number of years between your time and the time a piece of culture is made where you start to lose connection with it, right? And 90 years, almost 100, right? Yeah, we're getting close. Um, That might be more than is sustainable, right? (laughs) So I think as we watch movies, when we get to the 30s and 40s and 50s, there's going to be a point where we go, oh, I get this. This makes complete sense to me. We can't relate very well to the format of this movie. Right, the style of acting. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen it before. We're familiar with it because we know what a silent movie is supposed to look like. But it's like a cartoon. And most of our exposure has been to comical or satirical representations of it yeah right. not the real movie that's supposed to be a drama it makes it a little hard to connect to well should we move on to the black I think swan we should. Yeah, i think Absolutely. we should which we probably can connect to a lot more 100 <laughs> uh, percent. yeah no problem so the black swan is not necessarily categorized as a horror movie so that's one yeah. of its flaws in this, in this i think it was as much a horror movie as this was though oh yeah for sure 
Um, and by our modern it definitely has some horror movie uh, aspects. To oh it. yeah. The one I think the thing that it, the reason that it's not a horror movie is that it focuses on a single character's development. Right? There's no, there aren't any outside forces trying to attack her, or there's not a monster per se. Though I'm, there's a lot in the movie about all these external forces kind of oppressing her. Not yeah. kind of oppressing her, yes, yeah. putting 100% on her. oppressing yes, her. Sure. She's The main character is a ballerina, as if you're not familiar with the story, she's a ballerina in the New York City Ballet Company, I yeah, think. Yeah, I forget the exact term, but yes, uh, the New York She ballet. is really, really, she's competing with the rest of her troupe for the role of the Swan Queen. Prima Ballerina. Prima Ballerina. Right. Yes. So the Prima Ballerina from that company is reaching the end of her career and retires. In the forced of the forced retirement. Forced retirement. And, they, and this girl is chosen to replace her. Although there's a point at the beginning of the movie where it's more of a competition, like who's going to choose, who's he going to choose to do this? I will admit, even one day after watching this, I could not remember Natalie Portman's character's name. I remember like every other character's name and cannot remember I, her I'm name. I'm not good with character names. Oh gosh, Lily. Lily is the black. Is the Nina? We yes. said I think it's it Nina. Might be Nina. You're it right. is Nina because she said Nina wow. earlier. Whew, okay, it's Nina. And so, I was like, yeah, but what is Lily um, and Beth and um? What is to- Tomas? No, Toma. It seems like she was saying Toma. It yep. does. I cannot remember her mom's name, but I. Her mom's Everybody name else. is unimportant, I think. She's just the mom. What yeah. about Mina Kunis? Mina that's, Kunis that's is Lily. Lily. And what about sure. Winona Ryder? Beth, Beth McIntyre. Well, that's all we need to know. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> There's um, only the one other so ballerina. So Beth McIntyre is the, is the prima ballerina who is retired. Yes. Who is retiring. She's been dethroned. Tomah has sent her out to pasture. Well, and early on in the movie, they're saying nobody's coming to see the ballet anymore because nobody wants to see... An older the ballerina. Older prima ballerina. Do you guys want me to run through the plot? I'm not sure how, how we want to do this. We can fill in if you... Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy to take... Do it. So the movie opens with Nina... I don't know if she has a last name, actually. The Natalie Portman's a ballerina in the New York troupe, as Karen said. Uh, she has been there for a number of years practicing. She wants to be number one. She wants to be perfect. She wants to be perfect. Uh... Beth McIntyre, the prima ballerina, is stepping down. Uh, Toma, the director, director, and also like kind of, you know, the male chauvinist, uncomfortable He's the puppet master. Yeah, the puppet master of this whole situation. He is puts all the ballerinas on, you know, has them do a trial to determine who can take over as the Swan Queen in their new production of. The Swan Lake. Swan Lake. Swan Lake. You know what? Something interesting about that that just occurred to me is that there are some male characters in this movie. Yes. But aside from Toma, they are like bit marks. Mm-hmm. And everything else is about the people. There's like Toma, he's at the top, and there's this gaggle. Oh, gaggle, every, every single gaggle character is women. under Toma's thumb. Even, uh, even the mom. Even the mom. And even Lily. He even brought her will, in. Yeah. From San Francisco, he placed her specifically in this situation. I, there is another character named Susie, who I don't think ever appears in the film, who's refer- referenced a oh, number of who, times. Who's the, she replaces? No, uh, I don't think so. Susie is the person that the mom talks to about repeatedly, who is feeding her information about the ballet. Oh. I don't think Susie Probably ever appears the, on screen. Of, there's an administrator that yeah. they talk about. 
Yes, um, which I thought was interesting. But uh, they're going to put on Swan Lake. They are, he is casting for the Swan Queen, who he describes needs to balance. Because of the story of Swan Lake, where the young virginal girl uh, is in love with the prince. She is turned into a swan by the evil wizard Rothbart. Rothbart? She, I will admit now, I have no idea what the story of Swan Lake is. I, this, I'm collecting totally this from be, the movie. They yeah. can totally be scamming me on what the story well, is. Well, in the movie, they say Swan Lake. Uh, this, the girl is turned into a swan, the white swan. Uh, the black swan comes in, her evil sultry Twin. doppelganger, and takes the prince from her, so the white swan kills herself. Um, this is the well story within a story of this movie. Only true love will set the young girl's soul free from the swan. And true love is supposed to be found in the prince. Oh, the right. prince gets tricked into falling in love with the uh, evil girl, the evil twin of the innocent girl. Yes. And uh, she seduces him. So going back to the movie, Thomas, the director of the ballet, wants to find a dancer who can play both the parts of the innocent young girl trapped in the swan body and the seductress, the um, fun, flirty character of the black swan, the evil character of the black swan. So he initially selects Nina to be to try out for the part of the swan queen. Among others. He Among others. A he selects a people. handful. They, he has them do tryouts. He initially tells Nina... Well, you would be great as the white swan because you're this perfect, you know, uh, precious girl, but you don't have what it takes to play the black swan, and then immediately starts uh, aggressively putting his moves on her. And Wait. No, no, no. One sec. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's, yeah, there's totally... some stuff. There's some space in between Toma, those two things. And Toma immediately begins his manipulations by saying that you would be per- you would be cast for the role if you... If it was just the white swan, but no, I've already picked Veronica. Veronica, no, that, you're, that you're, comes no, out later. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Oh, okay. So he tells her she would be great for the white swan, but he doesn't think she can do the black. Oh, you're swan. right. She goes That's home the after point that. where she goes home and and t- her mom tells her mom, "Yes, we had this audition," and then breaks into tears. Oh yeah, because she ruined it. She says it was okay, and then she, she breaks into tears. Yeah. No, no, no. She didn't fall. She just. Oh, she, she, she Mila Kunis right. comes yeah. in. She Mila Kunis, yeah. She couldn't finish this spin. The coda. Because Mila Kunis interrupted her by walking in yeah. the room. So I, she steals herself to go the next day, and something important happens on the train while she is preparing for that. Oh, I wanted to bring that up. The train scene happens even twice. before. Well, the initial train scene, she initially sees a, doppelga- a dark-haired doppelganger before she even knows they're doing Swan Lake, which I thought was interesting. Oh, and the other thing that happens before they're doing Swan Lake, she already has marks on her back. Oh. Mm-hmm. That was before she knew about the audition. So she's so, already so having she's, some cracks appear. In right. Her so she's got some marks on her right shoulder blade that are suspicious. Then she rides the train in. Then the, this stuff happens where he says, okay, I'm going to cast Swan Lake. She fails to be able to do whatever this move is the Black Swan needs to do. She goes yeah. home. She breaks down. She steals herself to go in and ask for the part. Mm-hmm. And on the train on the way in, oh yeah, she sees her doppelganger. I think she might have seen her before. Too. I think that is that also where she sees the creepy guy in the suit. No, that's who is, later. like smooching at her. No, then okay, that's later. much later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so she sees her doppelganger on the train that time, or on the outside of the train, or whatever. Mm-hmm. There is a point where she she and her doppelganger cross on the platform. Yes. There is a book that the director said this was what influenced this movie, which is called The Double, and that is 
exactly the scene that happens in the double the first time that the character who is having issues sees his doppelganger. It's the exact same scene. They just cross each other like this. And you see someone who is identical. And in the movie, the way that this sort of is, is shown is Natalie Portman's character is standing on the train. Initially, she's standing on the train and she sees the back of another girl who has a similar like hairstyle, similar outfit as her. She can't see her face. And then I believe she like she does some. She like pulls out her phone, and then the person she's looking at also pulls out her same phone. Uh, later, she'll see a person who looks like her, and as she starts walking closer to her, her face initially is Natalie Portman's face. And then as they get closer and closer, then it's another actress. Right. So she is seeing things that as they get closer, then she's like, oh, that's not me. Um, but that's how the doppelganger is initially shown. It becomes more explicit as the movie goes on. So she sees her... That, on the train, she sees herself, then she goes into his office, and that is the point where Tomorrow's she... office. Tomorrow's office, to ask for the part, and he once again harasses her about being too perfect and not being loose enough, and you can't be the black swan, and then he kisses her, and she yes. and she is into it at first, and then she bites him. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he tells her to get out, and then as she starts to leave, he closes the door and kind of locks her in, and then he kisses her, and she bites him, and she storms out, and he says, oh, you bit me. She doesn't storm out. Well, she, That's, she leaves. She, she, yeah, she, she leaves. goes off softly yeah. and, and meekly into the hallway. Um, and at that point is where he tells her Veronica's going to get the part. He's yes. already cast it. Yes. Um, then is the next scene where they're getting the casting call? I think so. I think. Or where they're all just after. sitting around and then they post the results. And Nina mm-hmm. is sitting by herself. She doesn't have real friends in the troupe. Uh, and... The results are posted, and Veronica walks past her, and she says, you know, congratulations, Veronica. And Veronica's all excited and goes and looks at the casting call, and then turns around and comes back and says, you know, why the hell did you do that? You're the one who's cast as the Swan Queen, biatch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Nina's all excited, and she goes and tells her mom, I think is the next scene. And there's a cake, but she can't eat the cake. (laughs) She can't eat the cake, because uh, earlier in the movie we've seen, I think, Nina is bulimic or at least is uh, she, she is a, she either has a nervous up. stomach or she just or else she's throwing up on her mom has bought her a cake and she says oh yay uh, but i just a little piece and the mom says well no you, you should celebrate let's eat a whole piece and he's like no and her mom immediately goes threatens to throw it well away. i guess there's no reason i'm just gonna throw it away and then she says oh it's okay mommy uh, it tastes delicious and eats the cake off her mom's finger yeah there's a lot of weird so i guess when we're talking about characters We've got the corrupt and manipulative dance uh, a ballet director. We've also got the mother who... Also uh, corrupt and manipulative. Corrupt and manipulative, but because uh, she never realized her dreams as a prima ballerina. She yes. never she left... She got pregnant. Yeah, she got pregnant with Nina and decided to have Nina, and uh, her ballet career was over. Nina makes the observation later on in the movie that she never really had much of a career to begin with. She never left the core. I think the core means the main group of dancers who don't get selected for the um, ballet. That was my, that was my understanding. Of yeah. that. So and she was 28 when she got pregnant, so she was old for a ballerina. Yeah. I don't know if they make it clear how old Nina is in this. It's clear she's young. Yeah. Well, it's clear she's, she's young She's been in the troupe for a few years, though. Mm-hmm. But... Natalie Portman is not. No, Natalie Portman's not young. She, there were parts in the movie. Well, actually, she was super well cast for it because yeah. her face can either look. She looked very scary by the end. Very young, mm-hmm. or she sometimes looked like a mature woman. Mm-hmm. Right? 
she didn't. She had both aspects. And I, it's been a long time since I'd seen this movie. She's really skinny. Yes. Like, yeah. Really yeah. super she, skinny. In she this didn't movie. train for an entire year with ballerinas in a ballet company for this movie. Yeah. She totally raging bold this movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. So <laughs> even Maggie was disturbed by the. Yeah. There's a lot of disturbing arms. imagery in this movie, and a lot of disturbing. Uh, Events, I guess. So I think. So she we, becomes the the Swan Queen. Um, she's cast. As she's this, cast as the Swan Queen, which means she needs to be both the good and bad Swan. Um, and in the meanwhile, Mina Kunis. Yeah, is, Lily. There's a scene where she and Toma are watching Mina Kunis dance, and he's. It's Mila he's, Kunis. Mila Kunis. Sorry. Uh, what's it? Lily. They're yes, watching Lily. Lily dance, and she's dancing. And she is free, and he's saying, see, she's not perfect, she's just, she's loose, and she's free, and it's beautiful. And she appears, she, you know, appears for a couple seconds here or there throughout the early parts of this movie, and she, every every part, is having a good time. Like, yes. she is the opposite of Mina in that she is kind of doing her own thing. Well, and she's also sexually overt. Yes. In almost every scene. And she is having a good time, like, she... Comes in and says, hey, I was late. And Tomas says, well, okay, get go get stretched. And she says, oh, I'm fine. I don't need to. Yeah, she, I'm always loose. She is, Lily, yeah. <laughs> Lily is um, confident. She yes. is uh, self-assured. She's easygoing. She's got this, like, just attitude that's like, you know, I can hang in any situation. Whereas Lily, Natalie Portman's character, is um, shy, frigid, nervous, uptight, worrisome. And I just I don't, soft-spoken. I'm sure this was intentional, but Mila Kunis also is strikingly different in her, you know, her person than the other dancers. I think she's the only even slightly dark-skinned person. Right. Well, and she stands out immediately, even wearing the same outfits as the other troupe. Yeah, and she also doesn't wear her hair in a chignon. It's free-floating. Yeah. So she is... Like, they've, the movie sets her out as, like, visually, in every way, uh, in contrast to both Nina and also all the other dancers. We should also... The, the other dancers are somewhat in the background. They are. As they are intended to be. Sure. I, oh, and the other... We should talk about the soundtrack. I mean, every once in a while, it, I assume it's the... I assume they're playing Swan Lake throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. Uh, it's all orchestral music. There's very few points where there's no music at all. And when mm-hmm. it is playing... And sometimes it's overwhelming. Like, mm-hmm. the sound of that music... Yeah. completely overwhelms a scene. It's like when things get loud Intense, emotionally, yeah. then the music gets super loud and they're playing the super loud yeah. Swan Lake music. The other question that I had was whether um, whether the movie itself somewhat mirrored the story of Swan Lake. It, there were a lot of, way the, it did, for sure. The way the movie describes Swan Lake, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, again, I don't think any of us know the story of Swan Lake well enough to say. <laughs> well, but I mean, the Swan like Lake a... that they were presenting, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, well, one thing I thought was interesting about this movie was Natalie Portman, it was Natalie Portman's character, Nina, her clothes change oh, over yeah. time as she approaches um, kind of like the black swan of her or her own identity. Yeah, there was a point where she was in gray. Yeah, so she's I mean, she yeah. starts off in the very beginning... Um, she's dressed in her all-white ballerina practice clothes, and everyone well, when else. When they go to the black. gala, and she's announced she's wearing white. she's wearing no a one curly else in white the entire dress. Movie wears white or and Mila Kunis is always wearing black. Right? Yep, yeah. Mina Kunis. 
Mila. Mila, okay. Got so <laughs> throughout the movie, as um, as Nina's character uh, progressively uh, gets corrupt, I guess. Yeah. She goes from white to black to gray, and then from gray to black. Her just clothes are mirroring this transformation. Um, not just not not even just like the clothes that she wears as a ballerina for costumes for performing practice performing the ballet but also just the clothes that she wears in her personal life like in practice like um so, warm-up clothes let's I, i'm gonna have, really need you guys help with this so i'm gonna try and sum up the end of this movie or the the rest of the story just so we jump through it we, and i'm gonna have a hard time we didn't doing. hit the doppelgangers hard enough because that's a big part of the whole thing. we also didn't talk about the transformation the physical transformation nina's going oh, through right. yeah so this. before it all starts she does have some marks on her right shoulder blade yes and those get progressively more and more pronounced and her mom in one scene says oh you've been scratching again and she's got finger. Nina's having fingernails that are like breaking well another and thing bloody. nina is nina Nina? Nina and Lily. <laughs> Nina, Nina, and Lily. Nina is continuously um, bothering with her body, right? Yes. She's always picking at her fingers or apparently scratching. she had a scratching problem. She does something. that in some of the movies. There is a scene very early on at the gala mm-hmm. where she goes into the bathroom and she's having a problem with a fingernail and she rips off a huge piece of skin. Yeah. And then she looks back at it and she has not done that. And right after she does that, Lily busts into the bathroom and takes off her underwear and puts it in her purse, and also says, you know, starts talking to Nina and says, I have to use the restroom, just hang, stay with me uh, while, I, while we can Let's talk. Hang out. And Nina goes, mm-hmm. no, thank you, I'm out of here, uh, and goes back to the party. Yeah, so throughout the movie, uh, Nina's character is experiencing these physical transformations, which may or may not be real, but um, as her uh, mental health declines, because of the pressures of being a ballerina, the more the more uh, expressed these um, these physical transformations are in her body. So her, the scratches on her back look even more scratchy. Um, she start we're starting to see kind of like the pin feathers where pin feathers would yes, appear on bumps. her skin, skin bumps. What else? Uh, she at one point like her fingernails like, will start bleeding yeah. from scratching and, and getting all broken. She breaks a toenail at one point. It's pretty horrifying. That's just from that's a real that's a real manifestation of her just overworking herself in practice. This yeah. is not like a definitely imagined thing or oh, even... and that, well, okay. So in the scene where so at one point the Mila Kunis character, Lily, comes yes. they she comes and knocks on her door, mom won't let her go out, and then she says who's there, and then Mila Kunis is there. Right. And they You don't see up... Mila Kunis in that scene, by the way. When the mom opens oh, the, the door, mom you don't no. see who's at the door. No, Nina so goes out. there's a question of whether she's ever there, but it yeah. t- turns out she is there part of the time. Yeah, I have some thoughts on that. But. <laughs> so she, uh, she's there. Mila Kunis says, let's go get drinks. They go get drinks. There's two guys. Eventually, they end up back at... Well, they do drugs. They do drugs, yes. She wakes up in a bathroom. She comes to consciousness in a bathroom. She's kissing some guy, and then she yeah. leaves there, and she's going to leave. Right. And Mila Kunis says... I'll Where are you going? And yeah. then they go back to her house. Her mom is there. She locks herself in her bedroom with Mila Kunis. They do some stuff. They and have in sex. the time in in the during that time, though, that's there are a lot of transformations. Yes. Her skin is like it's totally changing into bird it's, skin. And it's worth pointing out she goes. Nina and Lily go to the club. Nina's wearing her like house clothes that are all pink and white and. 
Lily says, oh, you need some nice clothes. Here, take my extra black shirt. And so now they're both wearing black tank, tank tops. Yeah, but then she has to up. put a thing over it because of her scratches on her back. She does. But that was, you know, in terms of the, the visual and clothing things that, that Karen spoke of, this is like a real manifestation of that. Lily gives her, literally gives her a black outfit to wear when they go out. Um, and Lily is, Lily is supposed to represent all that Nina isn't. Right. So she's constantly being faced with who she needs to be, who Tama wants her to be, but who she isn't. That's right. Once Lily gives her but this yeah, tank but who top, she wants, she wants to be what Tama wants her to be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it seems like she wants to be Lily uh, more than anything. And I think Lily, how do I say it? In the beginning, in the very beginning scene, when she thinks she sees someone who looks exactly like her, I thought that. That actually was Lily on oh, the so, subway. Too. And so the reflections that she sees of like literally in the mirror or literally on the subway, like it, it's who she wants to be, Lily. And I think that the movie actually kind of ties that up because when Lily shows up later in the early scenes, she says, oh, I got off on the wrong stop at the subway, and Nina sees her doppelganger get off somewhere else on the subway. Before her. So it seems like the movie is saying that was Lily who got mm-hmm. off. Same scarf, too. So Lily and Nina have a night together. Nina wakes up, and Lily's gone. Um, Nina is late for her performance. Yeah. Her practice. Her practice yeah. performance. And Lily takes over. Yes, Lily is filling in for her and Tomat tells Nina, Lily's your alternate. And Nina says, and she can't be my alternate. She wants she's my out, part. Yeah, she's out again to get me. And Tomas like, no, you're just uh, stressed out. Don't worry. Everyone wants your part. They, I mean, throughout this entirety of this movie, from early on till now, Nina's physical transformations are becoming more apparent. Her hallucinations are becoming more extensive and more scary and more commonplace. Yeah. The pressure is mounting. Uh, both Toma and her mom are becoming more oppressive in their personality. I mean, her mom starts out being a little creepy but supportive and she's, quickly turns to be just... Well, it, tries to lock her in. She doesn't want her to go to her rehearsal. To it yeah. seems like she's supportive up to the point where, she actually, where her daughter actually gets what she wants. And then yeah. she's like, well, now my daughter isn't like me in that, you know, my daughter is actually exceeding me now. She locks Nina in the bedroom to prevent her from going to the... The per- first the, per- the performance. Yeah, the performance, and Nina breaks free from that. Yeah, um, kind of fights her mom. Like, they get... they get The fight is violent. Um, I think there's a very harrowing scene where her Nina's mom sees that she's been scratching and drags her into the bathroom oh, yeah, and starts clipping her fingernails with scissors yeah, and uh, then cuts her finger. Everyone uses scissors to cut their fingernails and this. Yeah, I don't that? know that's... It's not real. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. I feel like, so there's a lot to talk about. I want to kind of skip yeah, to the really end. it's really complicated. They eventually perform Swan Lake. It's a very beautiful scene. Here's one thing I want to say about that, though. Yeah. Up until the point where they start the performance of Swan Lake, the movie was very uncomfortable to watch, very tense and stressful, and it gets there, and oh, there's yeah. kind of like a, it's almost a little, it's not lighter, but it's like, Oh, that's all. That's it's kind a performance. Of over. Yeah, right. Like, There's some gaps now for me to not be so uncomfortable in. This movie does a really interesting thing a number of times, which I'll probably want to talk about more. Where it's ratcheting up the tension, and there's hallucinations and crazy visual stuff happening on screen, 
And then somebody will say kind of a non sequitur and everything just drops out, like the tension drops out. Some other some other ballerina will be like, hey, don't forget your line. And then it's just like the music stops and mm-hmm. it's she's no longer hallucinating. Or like the Rothbart character that she's so fearful of in her mind. The oh, he just walks ball- by. Yeah, one ball- one he's dancer okay. just, just walks by in real life in the costumes like, hey, you know. So they, well, we didn't, one thing we didn't talk about, which was one of the things that I noticed as a like a horror movie trope. Yeah, she goes to see Winona Ryder to give her back the things that she has stolen, oh, yes. which we didn't talk about. She has periodically stolen, stolen things her. from the prima ballerina during her reign. She's so scared. She goes to the hospital to give Winona Ryder all the little things that she's stolen, like her nail polish and her lipstick yeah. and her whatever. And Winona Ryder's there. Oh, and her nail file. Yes. And Winona Ryder's one. there. I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm ta- that's the wrong scene. That was a horror scene. Yeah, that's horrible. The one I was thinking of was the first time she goes to see her, where she's it, where she's knocked out. Yeah, when Overeater's character is was hit by a car. Right, and so she, so Nina is looking at her, and she's and she's very tense and quiet, and then all of a sudden a nurse is there, and it's like a jump scare. Mm-hmm. It's like Jaws. Oh, and the thing. music definitely goes. Yes, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh yeah, that's a horror movie. Something just jumped out at me. There's a lot of suspense and, then, and build up. There was the point where Winona Ryder stabbing herself. Stabbing herself in the nail file and then chases her into her and, home. Oh, and Natalie Portman turns into Winona Ryder and is stabbing her yes. face. Yep, yep, yep. And then she's in her apartment and she's chasing her from the corner. Well, she's yeah. Natalie Portman's character, Lily or Nina, yeah. sees her face in Winona Ryder's position stabbing herself. And so it's kind of this... Um, and it's like, you're so pretty now! It's, <laughs> it's this symbolic thing of like, you're going to become me. You're in the position now where I was right before this all this right. awful stuff just happened. Like you will be here in my position soon, stabbing yourself in the face. But the, right. well, let's, right. okay, performance so, time. So they they perform <laughs> Swan Lake. Uh, Nina is performing as the White Swan. There's a break in the show where Nina goes back to her dressing room, and Lily confronts her, and they get into a physical altercation. Nina like pushes Lily. They're choking each into other into a mirror. Into a mirror, uh, <laughs> she Lily is choking her to death. Nina's neck stretches out like a swan, briefly into a super long, creepy neck. She grabs a chunk of a mirror and stabs Lily in the stomach and kills her, and then drags Hides the body, drags the Lily's body into I guess a closet, it looks bathroom. Like a bathroom actually, into into the bathroom. Uh, and then she prepares to be the black swan for the end of this uh, performance. Scene. Well, it's important that she there was a flaw in her performance, right? As the oh, white she's swan. dropped. Yeah, or she, she, she sees dropped. something. Something startles her. She sees her, her mom in the audience, right? And she she stops doing whatever she's supposed to be doing, and then the guy drops her. Yeah, and everybody else. Huh? And that's a terrible tragedy. Yes. And then she goes back to her. I think she's already stabbed. Well, she goes back to her, her her place twice. Uh, she goes back once and... After she was dropped. Are you sure she doesn't stab her before being the black swan? No, because Lily's out there performing with her early on in the performance. All right. I think. <laughs> she goes back. So she goes out and performs. She goes back oh, once more. Right. There's a second she's break. She's dressed as the white swan when she stabs Lily. Is that... I think yeah, that's she's getting dressed from the white swan to the black swan at that point. I think. No, so what happened was... <laughs> Lily was performing as the white swan. She makes the mistake. She's so pissed off and she's so mad that she got dropped on stage. Tomas says it ruins everything. She goes back to her room in the white swan costume. She gets into this altercation with Lily. Yeah, kills Lily. Because right. you can see the knife wound um, in the white dress. 
Um, she sees Lily. She does go back she, later. She kills Lily, yeah. and then she puts on her black swan yeah, costume. Cause she, yeah, because she goes white, black, white. She does oh, sorry, that, white, that was black, what I white. thought. I just wasn't describing it. Yes. Right. So she's as the she does her performance as the white swan. She gets dropped. She goes back to get in her black swan costume, kills Lily, gets into her black swan costume, gives the performance of her life yeah, as the black swan. Breathtaking. Beautiful. And then goes back to be the white swan and finds, she finds a pool of blood. Well, that she did that as the black swan. She comes she back finds, later and there's a pool of blood at the bathroom. She right, has to towel yeah. up. She must have gone twice as the white swan into the room. She, I think so. Yeah. And the she, second time, she sees the pool of blood and pushes the towel into the door and then probably puts on a black swan. So then she down. notices in the second time that she goes to her room, she notices that there's like a small red dot in her white swan costume where she had stabbed That's herself. That's before the, the last scene. Yeah. Because Lily, because before the last scene, she goes to her uh, dressing room, dresses as the white swan, and Lily comes to the door and says, hey, you did such a great job. I know we've right. had a lot of pressure, but I wanted to say you just, were great. You're great. Right. She's like, I and, didn't kill you. And then she looks down and sees she stabbed herself and right. goes out to perform her final scene as the white swan. Uh, she gives finishes. an amazing performance, jumps uh, into the mattress. Into the mattress. All the troop comes out to celebrate her and realizes she has stabbed herself. And she says, Toma, I was perfect. And then presumably dies. Presumably dies. The end. Yeah. That's right. Black Swan. <laughs> so we've, we've done <laughs> this extensive <laughs> plot summary. Should we talk about how each movie compares and contrasts? I think we should just go free for all. I think okay, let's do it. I've got so many ideas. I think that the that the main difference between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Black Swan has to be like the whole gender thing. This, oh, yes. this in Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, it's a man. It's the a story about yeah. men, and mm-hmm. that story is about a man who initially has control over his transformation. In Black Swan, from the very beginning, we see that something is happening to this girl Nina. Something is happening to this ballerina that she can't really control, and it only gets worse over time. Nobody's oppressing Doctor Jekyll. Nobody's I mean, he's oppressing just, no, he's, a, he's a white man. He's oppressing himself white, uh, as much as he cares to. class man, doctor, that's, doing I mean, whatever he wants. That's why I think he's already a monster early on in this. I mean, he has the impulse to do the stuff that he is. In Black Swan, there are reasons why so she one of the things, one of the one of the concepts of this podcast is that change over time, you know, our social... Structure change. Yeah, cultural in, norms when, or in something. In the 1920s, when that movie was made, and they made a movie about a man, and women were inconsequential in that film. Oh yeah, but that wasn't the thing. Devices. That was yeah. not a. That was not a point they were making. That was just an aspect of their culture, yes. right? They make that point accidentally now when right. we watch anything from that time. So period. we're watching it, and we have a different perspective on that. And well, it, and I, I think it's worth saying that horror, the horror genre, has gender issues i don't know i don't know if i want to say are more are they're not any worse they're more obvious i mean they're explicit one of the gender issues i think that for the horror genre is that and it's not i don't know if it's bad or good but if you look at other genres female leads in other genres not that many no female lead characters in the horror mm-hmm. genre all so many. Place. Huge. Almost all of them. Because you want them to be vulnerable, right? Yeah. You want your victims to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, a, I think, probably not a good thing. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. I think that it also, but I think it is expressing a cultural norm yeah. that is just as prevalent in other genres. It's just not expressed as clearly. I yeah. think that women are vulnerable in all these movies. They're just not 
the main character because those... They aren't. Alien. I'd say that's a horror movie. It is a horror movie. And, and she's she is not character. vulnerable. Yeah, she's yeah. kick-ass. And so and is we'll she... talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. get around. We'll get back to that. But yes. as a whole, in, in horror movies, the females are... Well, a lot of the people are vulnerable. Not just the females, yes. but females are overwhelmingly... Utilized. White men survive the horror movie well, genres, and white women who are the protagonists. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of women in them because you want you want to immediately express that the character is vulnerable, and so you use a woman. Vulnerable and likable. Right. I mean, right. that's the combination. All right. So, so back to these two movies. Okay. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Another one that I thought was so interesting about Black Swan was the yeah that that idea of like mirrors reflection what do you see in them what do you like what do you want to be who do you want to be but i think mm-hmm. it's also about i mean it's the whole doppelganger thing mm-hmm. so uh, there's a scene in that movie where she's looking in the mirror and there's and then all of a sudden it's like one of those infinite mirror things mm-hmm. except yeah. all of the reflections aren't doing the same thing oh, i did not notice that at i all. noticed that i think maybe the second reflection or whatever doesn't turn its head at the same time mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I remember that. Where she's dancing by herself? No, she's not dancing. Oh, then it's, I don't she's being costumed. She's being measured for a costume. Yeah. Oh. And then the mirror is normal at first. It's not an infinite mirror. Then all of a sudden, it's an infinite mirror with infinite Natalie Portmans, except they're not all moving at the same... Oh, I did design. not catch that. I think it, like, I think that's supposed to express her um, sense of self, her identity is just out, completely out of whack now. Yeah. Um, Maybe because of our modern movie technologies, like mirrors were definitely used to the full extent. And even just like the way it's shot, just like this whole reflection thing, whereas in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, there was not really much of that. There was one, yeah. there was one um, long mirror that was installed in yes, Dr. Jekyll's. Dr. Laboratory. Laboratory. Yeah, he installs the mirror so that he can watch himself transform. It's explicit mm-hmm. that he needs a mirror. Yeah. All right, here's a thought about Black Swan that I wanted to pitch. I think that, at least in, you know, allegory or metaphor, whatever's going on in this movie aside, I think that Nina sees Lily, an actual ballerina in her troupe named Lily from San Francisco, early in the movie, sees this person as this wild and free character that she wishes she could be. And then throughout the movie, sometimes, occasionally she's seeing the really real Lily, but most of the time she is imagining herself as Lily or imagining what someone she thinks, who she thinks Lily would be. Mm-hmm. I think that there are times... Oh, there are definitely scenes where she's with Lily that Lily's not actually... I mean, they, they make that explicit, mm-hmm. but I think there's a lot in there. I don't think Lily is a totally imaginary character, like in Fight Club or something, but I think she is in many of the scenes... Nina is actually Lily, or Nina is imagining what Lily would do. I think when Lily comes to the door and her mom looks... When someone comes to the door and her mom opens the door a crack and says, Go away. Mm-hmm. And then Nina runs out and Lily's there. I don't think Lily's in that scene. The only reason I wasn't sure about that, I didn't think she was there either, is that the next day when she says, You were in my room last night, she says, Only if you were Tom and Jerry. Yeah, you yeah. As if she they were together for a time, mm-hmm. but not... For the period of time after she left. Oh, I guess that's yeah. true. Interesting. Yeah. So Lily says, I didn't go home with you. I went home with Tom. Like, unless You're you right. were Tom. And like... I guess she did meet Tom and Jerry. Yeah. Although I guess... Yeah, I guess so. Unless... Um, I don't know. There are scene, <laughs> there's a scene at one point where she is seeing Lily dancing. And maybe... I don't know. Maybe this is the scene where she thinks she's her alternate. I, I was wondering, is this actually Nina's dancing the Black Swan and as Lily? And Nina is looking at Lily and going, oh, I'm so jealous, but actually, you know, she's the black swan. This is not her watching her alternate. This is her dancing and seeing, oh, I'm, I'm expressing myself the way I wanted to. 
know. This uh, is something I was, as I was watching, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, at I what points is Lily real? It, which, it's not always clear from scene to scene if Lily is real or not. Yeah. It's only afterwards when Lily well, makes it explicit. In the movie, yeah, she's real, but what you're saying is it's not clear whether in some scenes she was really there versus if she was a figment of Natalie of uh, Nina's imagination. Right. It's even possible that she wasn't in the bathroom at the very first, the very early scene. Oh, I don't think she was. I think, I think she's says, definitely imaginary you. there because, number one, it's not clear why she would be at that show. I mean, she's a ballerina, but the other ballerinas are not there. And this is right after Nina has, like, had a physical manifestation of her. She has a hallucination, and then Lily shows up. And the other thing is, Lily is in the crowd below, and then when he announces her, Lily laughs. Right. Yeah. Which could totally be not real. Yeah. Because that's the thing that she that's has in her mind. That's what she's afraid of. of one, th- one thing that both of these movies have in common is that, like, is that sexuality is a big driving force. Oh, for sure. Um, and to Doctor, be kept away from. Yeah, to be kept away from. <laughs> yeah. So it's strange because in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, this motivation to, uh, the motivation to transform was so that he could experience what it was like to express his sexual side a little bit. In this movie, there's a character who's kind of spurring her on to transform into a more sexual thing too. So just like, um, just like Dr. Jekyll's uh, girlfriend's dad was saying, hey, live a little bit. You've got Toma, the director, saying, hey, Nina, live a little bit. But I think, whereas in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, exploring your sexuality um, turns into kind of a bad thing. Well, they both turn out the same way. They do turn out in the same way. But, but it's different. But it's different. I think that for a, I think that in The Black Swan, for a woman to finally embrace this like side of herself is empowering. Uh, whereas in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it's it, the sense that I get from it is that it's ultimately damning and damaging. It's just like you, you will, it will ruin you forever. Whereas in Black Swan, it's like, you know, if you express the sexuality a little bit more, you're a better dancer. If you, if you do that, then like you will give the performance of your lifetime. And she does give this like gorgeous performance as a Black Swan where she's just like, going for it and she that's where she fully transforms completely into a black swan yeah. from what i read about what the director's uh, intent was that sounds it, it sounds accurate in that this uh, actually the black swan was a companion piece to the wrestler yeah have you seen the wrestler i have seen the wrestler yeah. uh, but it was basically about how far someone will go to give a good performance right. to be an exquisite performer mm-hmm. of their art form it's different. And the wrestler, he does, his doppelganger is just his character he's playing. One thing I wanted to say about that I agreed with Karen on this is that in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Mr. Hyde is a monster. Lily is never a monster. She's a monster from the very beginning. No, she's... Yes, she is. Nina little... just wants to be no, her. I think Nina's no. a monster from the oh, beginning. No. Or... Nina, I meant. Yeah. Not yeah, Nina. I think that's I... the difference. Mr. Hyde is... An evil monster who is... Oh, no, Lily's not a monster. And Lily yeah. is a good... Yeah. I mean, she is... But Lily is not Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. I She's think a Lo- third character. I think Nina is yeah. her own Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, Nina. So Nina and Nina and uh, Dr. Jekyll have a lot in common because they're both... Yes. They're both like these kind of frigid characters who are... Who are one is I'm going to do air quotes of oppressed because yeah. of Nina's situation. But, uh, one of them Dr. is oppressed Jekyll. by... Him. They're both actually... Oppressed by they, they are, but in different, one, very different ways. One has made a choice, and the other one is culturally. Yeah, yes. but then they're both, you know, they're both these characters who are part of 
society, but you always see Nina kind of isolated in these scenes where she's not surrounded by a group of friends and Dr. Jekyll is kind of the same where he's around these people, but they, yeah. they don't particularly Right, but to Jacob's like point, Dr. Jekyll made a choice yeah. to be in that situation, and Nina seems to be more have pressed into that situation. By her mother. They are yeah. very yeah. similar in that he is he's isolated, and he is keeping to a certain very strict yes. code, yeah. and she's doing the same, Sorry. and pretty much for the same... For the same goal, he wants to achieve his perfection, and she wants yes. to achieve her, her perfection. Mm-hmm. But one of them is doing has one hundred percent choice, mm-hmm. and the other one is has been put in that position through a I, lifetime of. I mean, pressure. I guess part of this is the difference between those two characters, but I think to me this is the cultural difference between the nineteen twenties and the two thousand tens. Is that Mister Hyde is a gross, disgusting monster who attacks people. And Lily, even Nina's imagination of Lily, is a sexually free woman who people like. But, but what about But the I don't think Lily represents Hyde. No. The, the black swan yeah, the, side of Nina is, is Hyde. what represents Hyde. Just like in that scene where um, Dr. Jekyll is sleeping and then Hyde comes in and um, is this like oh, mo- tarantula the spider, spider oh, that yeah, takes yeah, over yeah. his body? That. That was great. That's <laughs> like when Nina is in her bedroom and she was masturbating and she realizes that her mom was there. She or I don't know what scene this was, but she her body completely transforms into like these her legs break or her legs like crack. Yeah, her knees her knees turn back like a swan. That was later. That oh, yeah, was later. it was her main personal transformation scene not the one on stage but prior to that yeah she sees her all those paintings screaming and yelling at her and then she tears them apart and she yeah. goes in her room and you, her skin is all whatever and her legs turn into bird legs and did her, you notice early in the movie like very early scene she goes into her mom's room and looks at the painting and one of them moves yes that one was like but i, I was so so brief i wasn't even sure like, yes so it's kind of like that reflection thing where it's all the where it's the infinite reflection in just yeah, one which of them i didn't turns. even notice yeah yeah, it was the same thing where she just turns her head, but one of the pictures, its eyes move. I think these are both horror movies. I mean, <laughs> I think that uh, according to the Amazon IMDb page, it's a psychological thriller. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you have a scene where a girl is in a bathtub and then opens her eyes from underwater and there's a dead body there, that's a horror movie. Like, that's, <laughs> that's a scary movie. Something jumps out at her, people are attacking uh, her with a scissors. A woman is stabbing herself in the face with a nail file. That's mm-hmm. pretty horrible. Yeah, there's a lot of horror movie stuff. And, yeah. I like, really like Black Swan. Um, I don't really like Darren Aronofsky as a director. If I take all of his movies as a whole, there are some really great ones and some really bad ones. And one of the things he does is it's almost cartoony in parts. There are sound effects for a lot of stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. And there's very little subtext in a lot of this. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening to her visually on screens that sometimes is very effective in Black Swan mostly, but in some of his films is not, if you do it wrong, it's not effective at all. It's goofy. I wanted to say some, um, something about how this movie Black Swan is different than, um, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's this story of like, it's a story of an isolated incident where this, man chooses to transform himself into this monster. In The Black Swan, it's a story, it's kind of a story of this cyclical thing that's happening in this ballerina society where oh, yeah. um, Beth 
you know, it starts with Beth being dethroned and Natalie Portman coming in, and then Natalie Portman is going to be dethroned by Lily, and it all has to do with this ballerina director, Toma, just like manipulating women cyclically. It's a story. It's a representation of you know. Well, and I that you know that made me think of the director actually. I I was looking at uh, Nina in her bedroom with all her. Fluffy, Teddy bears and yeah, always wearing pink and white, and I was thinking a man made this movie. Yeah, uh, a man made this movie, and it's a really powerful movie, and I'm really affected by it. But but it also it hits wrong sometimes. Like the tone is a little bit off at well, points. I mean, if you just think of it as okay, she's just victimized by a man. Well, yeah, this is a total representation of that, and this director must really know how to make that well, work. Yeah, <laughs> well, Beth but... kills herself, tries to kill herself. The pre-prim ballerina. Nina tries to kill herself. Uh, and the one person who kind of gets out of this movie okay is Lily, who... I mean, I guess this is back to my point. So maybe I, I differ from you guys on, on the feeling about this, is that Lily is basically the only non-victimized character in this movie. Lily is completely out of place in this movie, and actually. Not, her, I mean, it works, but... Her character is written by a man. I mean, there's an element to her... She is over... She's very sexual, and also that's about her only defining feature as a character. She is... She, compared to Nina, like, developed some right. character, but so if she was left... If, if Nina wasn't there, Lily would look like a terrible character. So you're saying, like okay, character. if you're just sexually overt, then you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, if you're just cool, if your waiter, you know, makes sexual overtones to you and you just roll with it... Hey, life's great. Yeah, that's that's kind of the. <laughs> well, she actually shut him down. She did, but eventually. she kind of plays with him about it. Yeah. Whereas Nina would be uncomfortable and shy away. I mean, that's the implication. Yeah, from that the, scene. The, it's a really good movie. The female character leads. It's so, are pretty. It's stereotyped. Yeah, it's yep. very stereotyped. It's so flat. Even it's like here you've got this one character who's just very you know, frigid, and here's this other character who's very sexual, but there's no... It kind of makes it think that there's, on, there's only two types of women out there. And Lily's when, from San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... So it's just... It just... Yeah, you, you can really tell this movie was made by a man, so it's like, oh, here, you know, you're either this type or that type of woman, which I didn't appreciate, but for the story... I mean, it was a really well-made movie. And yeah, it beautiful. Buckle up for rest. every single horror yeah. movie we watch to fall <laughs> it, into this problem. Yeah. Well, like, okay, so our next watch is going to be Two Frankensteins. Okay. A so modern Frankenstein. Probably no women at all in any right. of these. Right, no, there will be a woman in the modern, modern one. Modern one will do nothing, is my guess. I'm, I'm making my prediction. <laughs> she will be a love interest. Well, what they've done in the modern... I'll give a spoiler alert. In the modern time version of the Frankenstein we're going to watch, Frankenstein is a couple. Oh. A married couple. Oh, that's fun. That's more interesting. <laughs> so we'll see. So we're going to watch the 1930s Frankenstein, which right. we need to watch for a lot of reasons, because it's a basis of a lot of things. Are we just done now? Can we just move on to what's next? I think we should. Yeah, I think we ought to. We've <laughs> talked about this all. So next episode, well, we're going to watch yeah. the 1930s Frankenstein with Boris Karloff. Oh, wait. Hold on. We do have to talk about one thing. Uh, these what? cocktails. Did you describe oh, like yeah, what we drank yeah, and the thing you made? Okay, so we had a cocktail, which we, we doesn't really have a name because I just made it up today. Um, because we don't know what... Karen and I do not know what's in this cocktail. It is delicious. Yeah, what is good. in this cocktail is one part uh, hypnotic, two parts Huck, uh, heritage huckleberry vodka. Okay. And that's a local 
I believe Heritage is a local company. Okay. What is local if this is an international uh, podcast? Washington State. Okay. And then uh, half part lime juice. Oh, but I added something to it because I didn't like how it tasted. Okay. Half part, <laughs> half part lime juice, half part grenadine, and then I added some cherry juice at the end because it needed something. Yeah, cherry juice. Uh, it's it's organic sour cherry juice, not sweetened. And you put some dry ice in it, and which was awesome. And then put it into a fantastic bottle that used to be a gin bottle. Um, and I can't remember the name of the gin, but it has it has like a tire theme. We'll I'll have to out. get I'll have to get that. We took some awesome video and footage of the dry ice bubbly. It's like a potion. It was yes. really fantastic. So when we figure that out that super exciting. social media <laughs> aspect of this podcast, we'll share that. Yeah. Um, and was your intention to make a cocktail for every episode? Yes, I intend to make a different recipe for every episode. I had already originally we were going to watch uh Nosferatu and A Girl Walks Home at Night, mm-hmm. and then we ditched that because Nosferatu is not an American movie. We forgot to mention at the beginning that we need to we're yeah, stick we're with American films just American for movies. the culture aspect of it, um, but at some point we may watch, we may do a special episode of foreign films or comedy films or what have you. And I think having come to the end of this first episode, that was a good choice, because I like the way we're able to compare these two movies culturally, mm-hmm. I think paid off. Yeah. And that would be hard if one of these was a foreign film. Uh, yeah, so I want to make a different... Oh, and I had designed a drink for the vampire episode, <laughs> which we will have at some point. Yeah, or drink some Dracula blood or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so our next watch is going to be Frank Frankenstein from the 30s, and I'll try to get the best copy I can, okay. the least destroyed one. And we are watching the uh, Daniel Radcliffe Frankenstein? No. I'm not sure which Frankenstein. No, There's been like four Frankensteins you, yeah, in the last few uh, years. A whole bunch of Frankensteins came out. One of which is, I don't know if it's an independent film, but its it was made in 2014, I believe. It has, oh, I can't remember who's in it, but it is it is modernized, so it's current day. Okay. Uh, a couple makes a Frankenstein and they abandon him. Okay. Do you, so I, you guys probably know this, but over the last few years, Universal Studios, who owns all the classic movie monsters, wanted to, and is still, I think, trying to do like a Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're going to have all the different... We're going to have a new version of every monster movie and then have them meet up and do the Avengers, but with monsters. I didn't know that. So that's, that's cool. That's why there was Dracula Untold. There was a Daniel Radcliffe Frankenstein. There, there is was a, also another Frankenstein, though. There was another Frankenstein. 2000 or something. There was also I Frankenstein, oh, I Frankenstein with Aaron Eckhart. You know, I tried watching that. I've heard it was good. So they are doing, they are still, as far as I know, still trying to do... So I guess they're but probably going to have to... neither of those were well received. No, they're all poorly received. And I think the Frankenstein one was like kind of just pushed out the doors quietly. Mm. Um, but I think they may still be trying to do that. So there should be another Creature of the Black Lagoon coming out. And a Drac- uh, I guess they've done Dracula and Frankenstein. What's that? Another Wolfman probably? I some ads. Yeah. There's a new Jekyll and Hyde going to be oh, coming out somewhere soon. It may be BBC. It's either BBC or it's an actual movie. Yeah. That's cool. So there's more, these characters are coming back around again, right. for sure. And I think, I really think at some point we should do a special episode about these characters, because they started from the beginning, and we can't get rid of them. Basically yeah. every, they made, like, well, for they made four Frankensteins last year. They made a ton of Jekyll and Hydes in the early, great. you know, between the 20s and 40s or whatever. They just made a ton of them, and yeah. they make them... And it's interesting, because these are characters that... I mean, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde seems like it should be culturally, culturally irrelevant. Well, I think that no. some, of them, some of them are culturally relevant now because even today we're still 
interested in the idea of like a dual personality, just like with Frankenstein, even like today we're interested in giving something sentience. We're giving, we're interested in bringing yeah. things back to life that were dead. So these are, I mean, these are like no everlasting one, characters. I'm not really sure how, what, like what's the story about the creature of the Black Lagoon? Nice. Like, is yeah. it, is that, is <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know. We're scared of the water. <laughs> Everyone's scared of water. Water's scary. Well, and there's another thing that we might want to consider looking at is what's going on at the time. So Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde came out, you know, a few years after World War One ended. Mm-hmm. There was a lot, of, there was a... A lot of mental illness, probably? Well, I don't know. Following. I just know that it highly influenced what was going on. And then a few years later, there was the stock market crash, and Frankenstein comes out about around that time. Um, in the 50s, you have the body snatchers, and people were really worried about nuclear war at that time, yeah. and and also communism. Yeah, I, I think this will be, I think it's interesting. I guess we'll talk more about that. Yeah. Let's explore next time. <laughs> Together. Next time on Decades. <laughs> Decades. Decades.